Hi, I'm Mark, and uh, this is E3, and welcome. Hey, we are in the sixth week of a series called Immersion, and where we begun uh, the week after Easter, really asking the question, what does it mean to really live in light of the resurrection? And more specifically, what does it mean to live out the great commandment in the 21st century? Now, the great commandment is uh, told to us by Jesus. He says, love our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and equally as important, love your neighbor or love others as yourself. And we've been using the uh, metaphor of uh, swimming as kind of our, our backdrop because really these are not a uh, segmented thing, but this is an integrated practice that we all uh, kind of engage in, and, and each one is reliant on the other. And uh, the first week as we got into it, we talked about how you know, water is like emotions and relationships and, and really loving God or, uh, with all of your heart. And, and how emotions can be very turbulent and relationships can be very turbulent, and, and, uh, but they also can be very smooth and they can change at an instance. The next week we looked at loving God with all of your soul and spirit and talked about the Greek pneuma, a breathing in, and talked about in Genesis how, how since the first breath of breathing God in that we've been in need of another breath, we've been in need of uh, God with every breath that we've taken and what that meant to love God with, with all of our, our spirit. Then we looked at loving God with all our mind and the idea of, of navigating in the open water that you can't just keep your head down uh, like you do in a pool, but you need to lift up your head and, 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 and navigate and engage and see where you are and make course corrections. Then last week we talked about strength and in our metaphor of swimming, that's our, our kick and our legs is, as that's where the power comes from and use of our core and how we really, all of our strength is, is kind of this idea of all of our physical being, being in harmony and, and looking at our, our bodies as a temple for the Holy Spirit. And then today, as we kind of shift gears from loving God holistically into equally as important, loving others as ourselves. And in our metaphor, this is really the, the stroke and the pull. And, and in, in some sense, you might think, well, how is, you know, stroking and pulling loving others as yourself? Well, there's an interesting thing that I think in loving others as yourself as it is in swimming is with a little intentionality that when we stroke and pull and move forward, that we can bring others along with us. Uh, Jim Gorley uh, wrote this. He's a, um, he, he's a swimming expert. When the toe-to-head distance between two swimmers is a half a meter, the trailing swimmer experiences a 45% reduction in drag. Kind of this idea of the, of the person who is stroking and pulling themselves through the water just if with just a little bit of consciousness of knowing that somebody's behind them, that they can bring someone along with them. And the same is true in life for us. That, that each and every one of us are here 
and where we are in life because of somebody who went before us. And most of us can all identify a mentor, somebody who intentionally kind of spoke into our lives to help us along. They didn't have to do that, but they did that because they believed in you and and were loving you because they wanted you to experience something more than maybe you could experience without their input. So as I've been looking through scripture, there's there's a lot of different kind of ideas about what this means to love others. And, and to add to confusion, you know, Jesus has some different types of teaching on this as, as well. And I've broken them down to really three different types of teaching. And I called one, the, the first one we're going to talk about, the great separator. The next one is the golden rule. And then finally, we're going to touch on the great commandment. Now, the great separator is uh, found in, in Luke chapter 6. And he says this, But to you who are willing to listen, not hear, but listen, to actually take it in, and, and, and listening has this kind of uh, connotation that you're going to consider it. So for those of you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, hit him, no, on the other cheek, give him the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Now look at this. Verse 31, we kind of have this transitional statement. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Okay, fair enough. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. So here we're having this kind of this idea that Jesus is like, okay, wait a second, the golden rule or, or, the, or the good rule or the, the great separator, this idea of, of, of doing something with the idea that you are going to be repaid, even People not of God will do that. In fact, our, our, our whole Western kind of civilization is, is based on this idea, right? Fairness. I do this, and you do something equal in exchange. And Jesus is saying, there's no separation between you and the world with, with this idea. There's none. That's, that's kind of the normal practice of fairness. And then he kind of goes into what is the true separator between the world and a follower of him. And he goes straight for the pocketbook again. I think whenever Jesus talks about money, usually, number one, he's not talking about money. He's talking about your heart. And he talks about in other places where, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So when Jesus is talking about money, you can know that he's probably not talking about money, but he's really talking about your heart and talking about something that's probably the closest to your heart, the greatest indication of where your heart is. 
And this is what he says. This is the great separator. And if you lend money only to those who can repay, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemy. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting, acting, not you will be, but you will be acting. There's a big separation or a difference there. It's not saying you won't be a child of God, but you will be acting as a child of God, part of his family of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And Jesus is kind of saying, look, this is what it means. This is what my family does. This is what the royal family does. That they lend to their enemies without expectation of repayment. Now, again, don't take away from here, like, go find someone you hate or hates you and go loan them 10 bucks and don't expect repayment. That's, that's not, you're missing the point. It's not about money, it's about your heart. And it's about changing the paradigm in the world that we live from a fairness-based kind of doctrine. I do for you and you repay me with equal measure. To, I do for you because God loves you. And I am part of God's family, and that's what my family does. Changes the complete paradigm. The next one is the golden rule. And all of us know the golden rule. It's taught in Sunday school all the time. You know, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Okay. And then he goes on and says, this is in essence what all the prophets have taught. Basically, this is the basis of religion. This is not a Christian thing. In fact, in, in, in 538 B.C., before Christ, or B.C.E., for those of you being indoctrinated in the school system now, that's before the common era, which the common era is the love of Christ, so B.C. Somebody? All right, never mind. My own rant. But... What we ha have here is, is Jesus extending on something. In 538 B.C., Confucius said this in what actually they call the, the silver rule, which is, <laughs> I'm serious, look it up. The silver rule is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Or excuse me, uh, uh, do unto others as they would do, un you would have them do unto you. That's the silver rule, I guess, to Confucius, not as much value as gold, but, but it's still a good principle. In fact, you can go all the way back to early Egyptian uh, um, history, and they've had hieroglyphics uh, uh, translated to other kind of ideas of, of kind of this idea of, of doing things in the way that you would want to be treated. But again, as Jesus was talking about in the great separator, there's not a whole lot of separation here. That this is kind of standard practice in a just, civil, and fair society. And there's really nothing wrong with it in a secular kind of idea. 
But we have been called to something different. We've been called to a higher ideal than the silver rule. We've been called to a higher ideal than the golden rule. That's kind of like the bare minimum requirements for getting a passing grade. Otherwise, you're just evil, right? So what does a follower of Christ, what does God's family do? And this is what Jesus talks about in the Great Commandment. Mark 12, 31, the second is equally important. <laughs> this is as equal to God in God's eyes than loving him holistically. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And I got to tell you, this is a struggle point for many of us. You know, how do you love others as yourself? And I, I just can talk from a real personal nature here. I mean, this strikes at the heart of my selfishness, of who I am. And a couple of years ago, I was really struggling through this, and I was writing in my journal just trying to figure out what this really means for me personally. And this is probably, you know, last week we talked about it's a lordship issue, and I think, you know, for me, this is a real lordship issue and a trust issue. And I was sitting there working through my journal, and I, I in your, your fridge folds or on your fridge folds, I kind of left some open blanks for you to play along. In the, um, and, and just, uh, you can write it in, what your answers, not mine. Like the first one, when I am hungry. Like, what do you do when you're hungry? Anybody want to be bold, yell it out? Eat. We feed ourselves, right? That's what I wrote. I feed myself. When I'm thirsty? Okay, someone gets a margarita? Who was that? Rebecca or Emily? Okay, it was Rebecca. I wasn't sure. It was like, uh, margarita? Okay. Fair enough. When I'm cold, yeah, you get a jacket or something like that, right? When you're scared, when I'm scared, what do you do when you're scared? So you seek out comfort, right? You comfort, find comfort. When you're sick, yeah, I wrote, I give myself medicine. I, I self-medicate. Maybe I should go to the doctor. <laughs> uh, when you're lonely, when I'm lonely, anybody, what do you do? You call somebody, you find fellowship, right? Or when you're bored, you know, you find entertainment. I don't know, this is just, just these are some things that I just was writing, just trying to like unpack, how do I love myself? And, and in my journal, I wrote this at the end of that. One thing is for sure, no one loves me like I love me. It's true. I love my wife, but I take a heck of a lot better care of myself than she does. It's not a commentary on her. It's a commentary on me. It's a commentary on my selfishness and I, how I take care of myself. I mean, it's just, it's true. If I'm hungry at 2 a.m., she's not going to get up and fix me a sandwich. I'm telling you. So, 
You guys sit out there in judgment all you want, but uh, I know, I know. So, so here, so the next part is like, how do you love others? You know, I, you know, using these same questions, how do you love others? When others are hungry, and this is what I wrote. I'll let you off the hook on this one. I'll sometimes feed them, but certainly not with the urgency that I feed myself. It's just true. I'll feed them. I'll fill up a bag, but not with the urgency that I feed myself. When others are thirsty, honestly, I've helped provide healthy water for people. Uh, I've been involved with projects, but I don't know if it's uh, if it's a burning issue in my life. Like if if uh, someone was thirsty and and I was thirsty and it's some especially someone who wasn't in my kind of immediate circle. I I I don't know. I I think that I honestly would get myself a drink before I got somebody else a drink. I'd like to think that I wouldn't. And I guess it depends on the circumstance. But, I mean, these are the kind of struggles, right? When we look at this and Jesus is saying, you know, you need to love your neighbor as yourself, love others as yourself. I mean, this, this is kind of the grid. And, and, you know, we may hope that it's hyperbole in a, in a sense of just kind of elevating the idea. But what if he meant it? When others are cold, and I'll give them a jacket. I live in Florida. Who cares, right? <laughs> when others are scared, I think I, I wrote, if I know about it, I'll try to comfort them. I don't know if I actively look out, I look for people and seek out people who, who are scared. Uh, when others are sick, I, I think I would do what I can to get them medicine. Uh, when others are lonely, I wrote, if it's convenient, I'll hang out with them. I'll, I'll, I'll give them fellowship. When others are bored, I said, I don't see myself as an on-call entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, you know, I'm just looking at this. I just, I think what it really boils down to, at least on my list, and I, I'm sure you guys did better at this than I, but, but I, but, I think there's definitely a sense of urgency when it comes to self versus others. And as I look at the scripture and what Jesus says and and me being a follower of Christ in person and in word, you know, there's definitely a gap here. And it's a lordship issue. It's a trust issue. And this is something that that I personally have been struggling with over the past several years of how to close that gap. Now, thankfully, I serve a gracious and loving God who doesn't expect me to be perfect. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't try and, and to acknowledge that, hey, this is a problem area in my life and I need to bring it to the forefront and think about and wrestle with. So what does it really mean? What does it really mean to be kind of the tangible hand of Christ in this lost and hurting world? And uh, while I was writing the, 
immersion, uh, I came across this quote by Hubert Humphrey who uh, wrote this. He said, the impersonal hand of government can never replace the helping hand of a neighbor. Well, that was a really interesting quote. Because I think in our society, because we live in, 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 a, in a society that at least strives to be just and fair, and I, I love that about America, that, that we have kind of this, this idea that, that we do not want people to be in extreme need. We do not want people dying on the street uh, because of lack of nutrition or, or because they couldn't warm, you know, cool or warm their home or something like that. We as a, a kind of a compassionate society have, have come together and we voted in, you know, officials that, that uphold those values. But, but also, I wholeheartedly believe and agree with, with Humphrey that, that the impersonal hand of government can never replace the compassionate hand of a neighbor. And it definitely cannot stand in the gap of what we as followers of Christ have been called to do. In my book, I wrote a section called Separation of State and Church, which I've caught a considerable amount of heat for. And uh, I stand by it, though. It it really, this idea came out of a conversation with a a friend who works for uh, the California state government who has a really a huge heart for compassion-based state programs and things like that. And uh, again, I'm glad that we live in a society that, that, that values compassion. But in an ideal world, you're going to have to give me a little bit of, of grace here and give me a little bit of rope, hopefully not to hang myself. But, but this, this idea, wouldn't it be amazing Wouldn't it be amazing that in 21st century America, if a politician stood up and said, I want to introduce this food program because this segment of the population does not have proper nutrition, that everyone would scratch their head and say, there are no population groups that are malnutritioned or do not have proper nutrition because the church has taken care of it already. Wouldn't it be amazing that, that, that if our government didn't have to do it because the church has already taken care of it? Now, I, and I'm not talking about the local church. I'm talking about the local churches collectively in all of the world saying, you know what, we're going to take ownership of this. And, and instead of having, you know, people yelling about prayer in school and things like that and yelling about separation of church and state, that, that we say, you know what, let's have separation of state and church. That, you know what, these compassionate things, this is our platform. This is where the church is meant to shine. This is the place where where is meant to be the great separator between us and other people that we are the tangible hand of Christ. Now, 
You may be sitting there and saying, well, where are you getting that from, Mark? I want to share some scripture with you. Proverbs 28, verse 37. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Kind of this idea that, you know what? God will take care of us if we take care of other people, but if we turn a blind eye, we will be cursed. And I believe that the 21st century American church is experiencing part of that curse because we have closed an eye to poverty. How about Proverbs 29, 7? The godly care about the rights of poor. The poor. The wicked don't care at all. Here we have this separator of just saying, look, godly people, holy people, people who are set aside for God's purpose, care about the poor. And you want to know what wicked people, what is a, uh, a kind of a identifier of a wicked person is they do not care about those in need at all. How about Proverbs 31? And Proverbs 31 is talking about what it means to be a godly woman, but also really all of us, what it means to be godly. Proverbs 31, 20, she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. Kind of this idea of, of being the tangible hand of Christ, of opening up her her arms to the poor. Isaiah 1, verse 17. Let's learn to do good. I love this learn to do good because the reality is for most of us, it is not our initial instinct. Our initial instinct is to take care of ourselves, And if it results in good, then that's fine. We're not against it. But Isaiah is writing kind of under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this idea of, you know what, this is a learning process for most, most of us. We have to learn to look, at, look outside of ourselves and to learn to do good, to learn to sacrifice for the good of others. Goes on, says, help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Or in Isaiah 58, verse 10, Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. Kind of like this idea. Again, you know what? This is the great separator. If the church says, you know what? That we are going to take it upon ourselves to have eyes for others to not kind of allow other organizations to take what our primary call is, the tangible hand of Christ as the church, to be the light in a dark world. That we will be able, when we take this on ourselves, that we will be able to be this shining light because it's not normal. It's not normal for a person or a group of people to personally sacrifice without any hope of payment in return, as we talked about earlier, so that they will experience something more than they would if we weren't there. To actually be a light. And this goes so much farther. I think that a lot of churches have, have kind of 
adopted this idea of, of being a light is just telling someone about Jesus. And I'm not, believe me, telling someone about Jesus is important. But Scripture tells us the separator, the, 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 the light that is in the darkness is our transformation as being followers of Christ and the tangible result of that transformation of being a people who have the ability to personally sacrifice for the good of others. And when that happens, there is a light and a beacon that shines out in the darkness that makes people step back and say, Wow, what is going on there? Something supernatural must be at hand. This separation is talked about by Jesus in end days in Matthew 25. And he's talking about in, the, in this, in this uh, kind of segment between the sheep and the goats. He's saying in the end days... I'm going to separate the sheep and the goat. And the sheep are, are people who are followers of Christ, and the goats were people who are not. And the primary indication between the sheep and the goats were not how they, they looked or they spoke or, or, or anything like that, but what they did. And in verse 40, the king says this about, about the, the sheep. He says, I tell you the truth. When you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing for me. Kind of this idea that the indicator of compassion and love, not because we're paid to do it or expected to do it, but because it is who we are, it is part of our DNA, it is part of being a part of the royal family. This is what followers of Christ do. This is what Christians do. It's who we are. R is the great separator between the goats and the sheep. And I want to share this prophecy with you in, in, in Isaiah chapter 51. It says, My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. You know what Isaiah is writing about? He's writing about the church. writing about us being the hands and the feet of a compassionate God. And through that, people will be open to the, the understanding that God is a fair and just and loving God, and he wants to have a relationship with them. So what's loving others with all or as yourself? And I kind of broke it down in these two things, two sections. There's people you know and there's people you don't know, right? And I think that they both hold unique challenges in themselves. I think people you know can be easy or really, really hard. I think it's really, really easy to love people who are lovable. And Jesus talks about how anybody does that. But loving others who are not lovable, that's where we need supernatural power of God. And that this week, you know, it's my hope, my prayer that you can kind of wrestle through this and say, okay, how do I love those people who are not so lovable in my life? 
the people that, that I know? How do I go about and love them? And then the second one is people you don't know. And that holds challenges too. People you don't know, you, you may... You don't have, like, the kind of ill feeling about them, maybe. They, they haven't possibly personally hurt you, but also they're very easy to dismiss. And I think that there's a, a real kind of uh, just kind of base in, in our lives that says, you know what, I can give $20 or give some money or sacrifice for somebody that I'll never know or I'll never meet and and for some way in our soul and 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 in our emotional capacity that we feel kind of a peace in that when we give to these to these things and I think that those are good and and they're God-given and 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 to be people that that do globally for people who can't do for themselves is from God and it's an amazing thing but but I think there's a balance all through, you know, just like all through Scripture is this, this balance of, of, of loving those you will never meet and not forgetting about them because I think that that's our tendency once it gets out of the news cycle that we don't think about it anymore versus the people that we know, which can be extremely difficult. And I think that the kind of the people who are in between may be the hardest we were having a discussion about kind of like the, the elderly neighbor on your street. I don't know if that's like a law or something that everybody has to have an elderly neighbor on their street. It seems pretty typical. But, but kind of the, this, this, you know, those kind of people that you may not be in an intimate relationship with, but you definitely kind of know them on site and they kind of like fall in between. And I don't know about you, but like with me, you know, you see that they have needs, right? Maybe they are not able to, to do something on their own or something like that. And, and, and again, in your mind, you may look at, look at that and say, you know what, I could, I could take care of that for them. But if I do, they may invite me in for like tea and biscuits, right? And that's where it becomes tough. Because we may be willing to give an hour of our time to help them with something that's broken on their house, but we don't want to spend the additional hour having tea and biscuits with them. But maybe that's actually what they really need. And giving ourselves relationally and paying that relational price versus just a tangible price may be the biggest indication if we are truly loving others as ourselves. You guys pray with me? Dear God, this is a tough subject for me, one that I, I feel that I have a lot of failure in. And God, I just... Uh, pray that each and every one of us can really struggle with this this week and not struggle in a bad way but in a, in a in a proactive way that that is edifying and encouraging god i pray that we have elevated conversations with one another 
to really ask ourselves, how are we living this out? And what does it really mean to love others as ourselves? We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you.